0: Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. With Benelyn. On News Talk.
1: Yes, you can email the show aliveandkickingatnewstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Sarah Shannon was a corporate lawyer spending years studying and then many working in Dublin law firms before following an urge to seek out something more, which led to world travel and now work as a yoga and meditation teacher, leading others to help them find their own way in life. She'll join me in studio to talk about what helped her find her path once she had made the first jump. And Lydia Rowley is an occupational therapist and a psychotherapist who experienced chronic fatigue syndrome firsthand, and then with many of her patients through her work. This led her to write the fatigue book to help others with the debilitating condition and also those with long COVID fatigue. Her book starts with empowering people in their recovery on living with the illness and she'll join me to talk through some of her practical tips. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I've been good. I've been trying not to get too caught up in the whirlwind that is Christmas. I was actually a bit of a maniac around Halloween. It's my daughter's birthday around then and we kind of went a bit to town with a bigger party than normal as we weren't obviously able to in previous years. And I just seemed to be in a sea of ordering things online, carving pumpkins, decorating in a frenzy, coming up with costumes and it just wore me out, though there were fun and, you know, touching moments there, of course. But I made a promise to myself that Christmas was going to be a lot more chill and so far, it has been. I've tried to limit the amount going on, keep it simple, be present and enjoy all the good parts. So, yeah, so far, so good. Um, And I hope that you are getting through it all OK. There is so much pressure on people this time of year to do so much and to fit into this picture perfect, wholesome happiness, which just isn't a reality for everyone. And in fact, for many, I don't even think it is for anyone perfectly wholesome and happy all of the time. So be mindful of not comparing your experience to what you think it should be like. There's no right or wrong. Just mind your own energy and pull up the drawbridge on your own island from time to time when you need it. And this is the first year that I won't be with my sister at Christmas. She's due a baby in January, so she's too pregnant to fly home from America. So that's going to be strange. But look, the more quiet the Christmas, the more chill is my motto. So I'm looking forward to relaxing on the day, eating food, watching telly, meeting up with some family and friends and having lots of nice walks. So there really isn't anything to get wound up about when you look at it like that. You can email the show at newstalk.com. Now, Lydia Rowley is an occupational therapist and a psychotherapist who experienced chronic fatigue syndrome firsthand and then with many patients through her work. This has led her to write The Fatigue Book to try and help others with the very debilitating condition and also those with long COVID fatigue. She joins me on the line now. Hello, Lydia.
0: Hi, Claire. Thank you for having me on this morning. Thank you.
1: It's a very beautiful book. It's almost like a journal for people to be empowered in their healing. And we'll get into that in a moment. But what do we know about chronic fatigue syndrome?
0: Mm, Yeah, well, thanks for saying it's a beautiful book. That's really touching for me, to be honest. Um, Chronic fatigue syndrome is horrendous and it's really hard to kind of summarise it, I think. But, you know, it can affect people of all ages. So children right up to, you know, elderly and um, it is nothing like tiredness it's um really affects every area of somebody's life and can go on for an awful long time so it's it's a horrendous condition to deal with really and we don't really know
1: why it happens to to one person over another
0: no no we don't and and over the years there's not been an awful lot of research for chronic fatigue sufferers um now with long COVID there's more research so hopefully that may illuminate you know some of the reasons as to why some people are more susceptible to it and others aren't. Um, Usually people have some sort of trauma on their body be it glandular fever or something happens some virus and that actually they don't recover from that normally the body would recover but for whatever reason the body can't fully recover and the person is left with this horrendous ongoing uh, debilitating and it's a very relapsing and remitting condition you know sometimes you may have a good little day but then actually it really dips and you have some horrendous days following that so it's it's very yeah confusing condition i think to deal with
1: you open the book with a sort of a a day in the life almost of somebody with chronic fatigue syndrome and what led you to want to write this book in the first place, Mm -hmm. how does it manifest for people? Because literally every move from getting out of the bed to getting a cup of coffee to brushing teeth, each one is a mountain. The things we take for granted with a little bit of a rub of the eye and tiredness is a whole world away from this very, very challenging day.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's nothing like tiredness, like you just said, Claire. I mean, I think it manifests different for different people. Um, But certainly, you know, it's often gone from people who are very healthy, very active, live a very full normal life to then suddenly, you know, not recover from something and have this illness that um, people often describe It's heavy in the body. You know, there's this heaviness in the body that you just can't move. There's this brain fog. Everybody's heard of brain fog recently because of long COVID, but this complete fogginess in your head. So like every single thing you go to do is such an enormous effort, which then affects everything it affects how you socialize it affects how you can work it affects how you get dressed in the morning you know everything it just cuts through the normal functioning of everyday life and and sometimes I think people can misunderstand it because they can see somebody on perhaps a day when they're able to get out and about you know and they're dressed and look okay but actually that's that's a little glimpse into a, a good spell. And really the only people who know how bad it is are the people who are, you know, in close contact. So family, uh, you know, family who live with you in the home. They're the people who get to know how how bad it is. But most people don't really see that, you know, so. Yeah,
1: and I think the, the, as many of us think, oh, a, a duvet day would be a lovely thing to do. But when it's enforced and it's not something you want, it's something you have to do, I didn't even understand that reading a book wouldn't be possible all of the time. Focusing on Netflix for the day, it's its not a get cosy and just go with it. It's that heaviness. It's a very debilitating and, and, and
0: challenging experience. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, it's interesting about reading a book because here's me writing a book. <laughs> you know, for people struggling with chronic fatigue. So how do you do that in a way that makes the information accessible and okay for people who actually really can struggle at times to um, read a book or read a magazine or follow something on the computer, write an email, make a phone call, all these things that we just take for granted become, you know, very difficult for somebody to do. You
1: experienced chronic fatigue syndrome yourself as well as having treated hundreds of patients with it. What was that moment where you said, I, I want to change the conversation around this, I, I want to write this book?
0: Yeah, so my my own journey with chronic fatigue was many years ago and that really informed me, I think, as a therapist because um, I really wanted to try and give people a lot better help than I got (laughs) you know back in the day you didn't get much help at all and so you were very much left to figure it out yourself and then I think during my therapy years it wasn't something that I shared with uh, patients you know hey guess what I've had chronic fatigue as well you know it's just something I didn't do as a therapist it was very much their time and trying to facilitate the best session for them to make it useful so I kept that very private for a long time. And um, and then I think writing the book helped me kind of consider a lot more in terms of actually, yeah, you know, I went through this too. And um, I think that has enabled me to kind of put myself in the shoes of some people. I think everybody's experience is different. So I never like to say, oh, I totally understand. I totally get it because my experience was different from, the hundreds of people that i you know have talked to over the years and had the privilege of listening to their stories their journeys what had helped them what hadn't helped them
1: and obviously you started your journey with chronic fatigue syndrome as you say a few years ago before covid had even been mentioned so Now it includes long COVID fatigue that we we hear a little bit about. I I don't think there's enough really spoken about it. So how does it correlate to chronic fatigue syndrome? and, And how did you feel about including that in the book?
0: Yes. So long COVID fatigue is crazy because it is on such the increase at the moment. You know, the numbers are off the scale, really. And in terms of chronic fatigue, there's a lot of similarities. And so... People who um, have been diagnosed with with long COVID and where fatigue is the most dominant symptom, which it is for about, I think it's about 70% of the people who have long COVID have fatigue as the top symptom. Where fatigue is the top symptom, the treatment they are getting is exactly the same as what we would do with somebody with chronic fatigue syndrome. So in terms of pacing, activity management and so on, So when long COVID, you know, started to emerge, I had actually retired um, from my job and I kind of thought, hang on, so many people are getting this and yet the information is hard for people to get hold of. You know, they have to be super um, with it to be able to watch a webinar for an hour and a half and try and figure out what to do, you know. And so that was partly my motivation. My sister got long COVID quite bad one of my sisters, and a couple of friends. And they kept asking me advice, you know, what the doctors told me to do pacing, what does that look like, what am I supposed to do? And and I just thought, hang on, maybe, (laughs) not that I'm a writer, you know, I never considered myself to be a writer, but maybe I could do this in a way that is accessible and kind of process a lot of my journey that I had as a therapist for 15 years working with chronic fatigue, and do it in a way that is bite-sized, that is beautifully presented, that is accessible for people. So, that was my intention, you know, just to try and do it. And it was a challenge, I tell you, to write a book. But I'm, I'm really glad with the outcome. I'm so glad it's, it's helping people and it is being useful to people.
1: And it's so interesting, as you say, you worked as an occupational therapist and a family therapist and a systemic psychotherapist, and through all of the range of conditions, both physical and mental in the health sphere, you say nothing stretched or challenged you as much as chronic fatigue.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I've worked, like you say, I've worked with the full range and um, chronic fatigue, I think, is so multifaceted. It affects so many areas of somebody's life and people deal with it in different ways. So one of my passions as a therapist was to try and include as many people in the family who wanted to be in a session you know be that if that was an adult person you know have their partner come in as well and because fatigue just affected so many people around the person who was suffering with it um and to try and have those conversations as to what would help and what wouldn't help and what other ways forward so I just think it's multifaceted. I never, how can I put it? I've I've talked with hundreds of people. I've heard so many stories of resilience and um, hope. And, you know, I've cried with people. I've laughed with people. But I can honestly say not any story is the same. You know, everybody's life is different and everybody is an individual and how it affects and impacts somebody is different. So there are similarities, but everybody should be treated with respect and um, their own journey, you know, be listened to and helped. So, yeah, it's a challenging condition. And, it, and there's a lot of misunderstanding around it, I think, from just employers or even the medical professionals. And, and when, when people aren't understood, um, it makes it very difficult to get better because you're trying to prove how ill you are in order to get the help you need. And that, that makes it quite hard to get better if you're having to prove to either your family or doctors or something that you are really ill and you need some help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to lazy and all the connotations that would come with that. Um, you're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to... Uh, Lydia Rowley, author of the Fatigue Book: Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and Long COVID Fatigue: Practical Tips for Recovery. We'll take a break, but when we come back, we'll get into the, the steps and the advice that you give, because there is hope for recovery.
0: Alive and kicking on News Talk.
1: Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna. You are welcome back to the show. I am talking to Lydia Rowley, author of The Fatigue Book. And Lydia, we were talking before the break about people really needing to be believed. And I was really struck at the start of the book. You know, you have a few comments by people who have been through either long COVID or COVID fatigue syndrome and what they said about the book. And the first one is Lynn. She's 72. And she says, to be listened and believed is the start of a promising future. You have given me some hope. There are a lot of people who really need this book. And the book you were saying earlier, you know, when you're going through this illness, it can be very difficult to have the energy to focus on on things. So you've really broken the book down into bite-sized moments there's it's almost journal like in places so everyone's going to go on their own individual journey and at their own pace but you really do put the power back in the person's own hands and I I think that's a really important step that you ask them to consider their own role in the recovery um, and that recovery won't be linear and there's something quite empowering about that as well as giving them the space to be believed.
0: Yes, for sure. I mean, it's just, I think that's the big key, actually, to the book and to this treatment is, you know, sometimes we go to the doctors and we expect the magic cure, don't we? We expect them to be able to you know point the finger at it and say okay if you do this then all will be well and I think there's been a lot of write-ups about people who've waited a long time to go to these long COVID clinics and hubs and get a diagnosis and it's really important to get the medical overview you know to get blood tests done and so on to make sure there's no treatable cause for the fatigue like you know iron deficiency or Vitamin E or D, vitamin D, sorry. Um, you know, so th- that's really, really important. But then to expect um, a medical professional to suddenly, you know, heal you, is unrealistic with this chronic condition. So, I think that kind of sense of once, once people. It's kind of a journey. So I think what I've seen with so many people, Claire, is that they get to a stage where they try balancing out their activities, for instance, or they try getting a steady sleep routine. Um, And that takes work because sometimes it's against what you think. You know, you think, okay, I'm really exhausted. I need lots of rest, which you do. Everybody needs lots of rest when they have this condition, but they need to do it in a healthy way. So when... For instance, you know, you you are advised to maybe set an alarm and get up at a certain time. That can go against the grain and that can be really hard. But what people notice with time is that, oh, actually, you know, this works for me. And so then people can be empowered because they realise actually my actions can make a difference or me taking a healthy break and a healthy rest has an impact and actually I don't feel as exhausted at the end of the day. So, you know, it's little, it's often little tiny steps but done consistently. Make yeah,
1: and I you know, you 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 stress that recovery won't be linear. You could take two steps forward, four back. It will take time because it's certainly a long game, this recovery. Um and and, and it's it's not easy. I mean, you talk in the book about separating down the tasks into physical tasks, social and emotional tasks, which could even be a phone call to a loved one and a check-in and then something cognitive. So, you know, maybe it's searching for something online or, you know, having to do something to do with work, whether email the boss to say I'm, I'm still not back or, or whatever it is. And, you know, that's very that's very detailed, isn't it? To really have to break things down and allot your day in that way.
0: Yes. And it is, it is very detailed and it, and that's because literally very small changes make a big difference with this condition, very small changes. So, and by that, I mean, you know, so, so for instance, Mm -hmm. walking too far, you know, you may think, okay, I feel okay today. So I'll just go for a very short walk. You know, I can do that today. And so going for a very short walk, but actually, your legs start to ache after a minute, you know, do you continue or do you stop? Well, most people, oh, come on, this is doing me good. I'll push through, you know, I'll push through and I'll go for two minutes or three minutes and then end up being in bed for the next few days. You know, it's literally that small sometimes the the variation that will actually tip somebody over. And we call it booming and busting. And it's a very set pattern that you can recognize that you do something and then actually you have to crash and a lot of the treatment which you'll see in the book is really reflecting thinking okay when I did that that happened so how can I sort of do that in a different way and do it in very small chunks so that I'm not having that crash afterwards and people have to do that for a period in time and then they can start to have more energy and do more but it is a very fine balance, I think, in this condition.
1: Um, yeah, and there's something empowering about that, though, isn't there? You know, rather than just surrendering, surrendering and allowing it to wash over you, you're taking hold of it and 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 having a real look at it and seeing yourself in the middle of it. It's a mindset shift. As again, that's not to say it's not challenging, but it is a mindset shift. Yeah. And. There is hope. I mean, even to talk to you now, Lydia, you know, you went through it, you went on then, you know, to work, to retrain, to study, to work with countless patients and now to write this book. So people can recover from this. You even have a a chapter where you you talk about this being a a season in your life, a, a chapter as it was. It doesn't have to be forever.
0: Yes. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's going to be forever and it feels like life has come to a complete standstill. But you know, it is incredible. The amount of stories I've heard, Claire, you know, I, I could cry even thinking about them, to be honest, um, you know, of people who have come through and life may be very different. You know, I, I talk about a new normal. You know, life may be different because it makes you reevaluate your priorities in life. It makes you reevaluate what you want in life. Um, but actually, the amount of people and the amount of stories, and the trouble is we don't hear those stories enough, I don't think. I think... There's more good stories out there now online than there were, you know, 10 years ago. And I think it's good to surround yourself with stories of hope like that, um, rather than just the doom and gloom and how bad it all is. Because people are living through that badness and we we need hope to encourage us just to take one small step. And it is very small steps, really.
1: Yeah, well, it was a real eye opener to me that people are going through some very tough stuff, but the way the book is written, there's beautiful illustrations. As I say, it's in bite sized chunks with time for self-reflection and and a kind of a holistic view of, of mind, body and spirit that you've kind of. Shot through that darkness with with lots of light, and I would recommend it to anybody. If there's somebody you know with you know long COVID or chronic fatigue syndrome, it is called the Fatigue Book. Lydia Rowley, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. Coming up after the
1: break, Sarah Shannon on going from hotshot corporate lawyer to wild and free yoga and meditation teacher. Alive and kicking
0: on News Talk. Alive and kicking on News Talk.
1: You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Sarah Shannon, my next guest, was a corporate lawyer, spending years studying and then many working in Dublin law firms before following an urge to seek out something more, which led to world travel and now work as a yoga, a meditation teacher, a retreat facilitator, leading others to find their own way in life. And she joins me in studio now, Sarah,
2: you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire. It's great to be here.
1: So when did you first get this inkling that... This life that you had worked really hard to get to, there's so much study involved before you start to work in law, just wasn't feeling quite right for you.
2: I think I got kind of small whispers, you know, gradually over the years. And it was really when I started to practice yoga and meditation. I used to run out of my lunch break to an express yoga class across from the law firm with my yoga mat hid underneath my Jacket because I didn't want to be seen, you know, going off to yoga. And it was (laughs) one of those. Just a sneaky, sneaky yoga because you shouldn't be working. So I, during those practices of like being on the mat, meditation, I began to hear the whispers, but it wasn't loud and clear. It was just a sense that something, I didn't really feel like myself. I really knew that, but I didn't know what 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 myself was or and the whispers started to get louder um, and that's when I decided to take time off to go traveling and it was that time I got you know away from everything a lot of time to journal a lot of time to delve into all these things I was really interested in and the whispers became a bit louder but still I wasn't fully listening I still went back after a year of travel all around Southeast Asia, age 32, backpacking. And then I went back into a law firm.
1: Because there are two big opposites, aren't they? Because it's one thing, it's like that holiday feeling we get when we go away and we're like, I often say to myself, this is the real me. You know, when work is gone and I'm fully rested and maybe not now that my two kids are in tow on holidays, but you know, you get that kind of feeling, but it's not real life. It's not real, really sustainable life. So even similar you backpacking, it's an amazing way of life, but it's not sustainable in the long term or, or so you're led to believe. You're like, well, I've learned all that, but now I need to get back to my job and saving for a mortgage or whatever
2: all those things society tells us we need. Like that's exactly the way I was thinking. I was like, right, you've had your fun, Sarah. Get back, start saving for a mortgage, all the things you just said and get back to work, you know? Like that that was that was fun, but that's not real life. But what I you know, as I was back in the law firm and still, I was still doing all the work, like all the the practices that I loved, yoga, meditation. And I was beginning to connect with people in Ireland who were also doing this. So I started to see that, OK, there is actually this, this, this can be weaved into my life more. And it was, I, I then went off to India. I decided to, you know, to, to do both, to be a, to be a solicitor, but also go off to an ashram on my Christmas break. And be dressed all in white and be sitting, meditating for hours every day. So it was very extremes that I was going for. And it was there, though, that I had the realisation that I just can't, I can't keep going with what I'm doing.
1: And did you feel, I mentioned in the intro, that you are a meditation and a yoga teacher now. Was that kind of clear to you? Were you like, on this mat, I feel like me and I'm going to tell everyone? Or did it take a long time for that to become a way to make a living?
2: That, yeah, was not clear then at all. Like, I um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Even when I, uh, you know, six months after that that India trip, I, I finally left my law job with not a clue with what I wanted to do. So if you'd asked me then, even though I was, you know, really into yoga, really loving all that world, I still didn't see it as something that I could do for a living or that I could really, really do go, you know, it's such a jump. It's such going from one to the other. I didn't quite see that path yet. But I, I still, I went off and did my yoga teacher training just for myself, which you often hear teachers do. And then I went and walked the Camino for a month. Walking every day. What'll I do? What'll I do? Listening to everyone. Like, it's an amazing place to to hear other people's stories and get inspired. But I still, I got to the end point, Santiago, and I still didn't know for sure what I wanted to do. I, I, want, I wanted to be a right. Actually, I wanted to move off to somewhere like West Cork, find a cottage, work as a writer, I don't know what, I, I had romantic ideas. But this, this was all my dream time, which was a beautiful time to I kind of think anything is possible. I was kind of making up myself, you know, dreaming what could be.
1: So you made the jump then, you said, you, you came back to your law firm. What, what did you say to them in this meeting? Did you feel you had to explain why you
2: were handing in your notice and, and what was their reaction? I did it in the most, yeah, awkward, not able to explain myself. And you think it's such a big deal, you know, you think... You know, that's what I've realised about handing in your notice. It's it's a big deal to you. And obviously the place that you work, you know, values you and wants you there. But, you know, essentially they they want you to be happy and want, you know, you to, to, to... That's definitely what I felt, you know, a bit of a shock at first because I'd only been there a year, I think, or less than a year when I handed in my notice. And I also didn't know what I wanted to do. So it was a little bit of concern from, you know more senior you know your boss just a you know what what are you going to do and i didn't have the answer at all but then also a lot of um you know conversations on the side of you know well done i, I parts of me wish i did that when i was your age or you know i'd still love to do something different so that was really interesting
1: yeah there's a poll i think we think that we have to explain ourselves, and we have to give a reason, and people are going to feel this, this, and this, whereas really most people are just concerned with their own lives and their own
2: issues, and they wish you well. exactly. yeah. so it's it's big in, in your world in, in my world, that was big, but for for everyone else, they've got something else big in their lives.
1: So when did it become distilled into more of
2: a of, of a plan? I like when I look back, it was the plan was being created. And this is what I love about life. You know, all the strands were coming together, but I just didn't see it, you know, like like a patchwork quilt. I just didn't see the big the big picture. But all the strands were coming together. I had done my yoga teacher training. I'd created space and time in my life. I'd I'd got rid of the the baggage, you know, my career that I didn't want. I was I was a free agent, so when the moment of this you know synchronistic beautiful moment that happened, it it, it was it was leading up to that, and it was just a very simple like a guy, a friend, someone I knew had read my story. I was writing a blog all about the journey, and he owns he owned a coffee shop in Dublin, and said, "Why don't you come and do yoga there?" I didn't want to be a yoga teacher. I kind of was going, "Who me?" But I also, something told me, just go with, give it a go. And I knew a good opportunity when I, so I just, I was like, I'll do this. And I did it and I loved it. And that was really the moment. And everything just started to flow then. You know, it was a struggle to get there. But once I was doing something I loved I enjoyed it. People were coming, first my friends and family, but then, you know, people I'd never met just saw a sign and, you know, came into the class. Then they came back. <laughs> and then uh, brilliant opportunities, like, within my community, Then people, you know, I kept sharing my story. I think that really helps, you know, and people rush in to help. And that just, everything flowed so beautifully then. And it's, it's so interesting. So some of the things that have
1: re-jumped out from what you said was, you made space like you didn't know what the end goal was, but you knew what the next step was and you just were taking them, believing or going with this pull and with this urge. Um, And and I think that's really important. And you made space. And the minute you had made that space, things pop up and you're more open to going, OK, I'll give that a go in that coffee shop. Why not? And then that leads to something else and leads to something else. Whereas if you had stayed sitting at that desk in that law firm you wouldn't have opened up any of these things
2: yeah god when you think of it because i yeah i wouldn't have been able to do to do that that one small step at the time it was actually felt like a really big step because i was going well you know a few months before i was a lawyer and then suddenly i'm designing you know posters to pin up and you know trying to bring people into a class like it was hugely but but that small step just opened up a whole new world for me.
1: And I think it's really positive for people to hear that you had imposter syndrome, even though you had done all this time in ashrams and journaling and walking the Camino and the yoga teacher training. So you were qualified. You were still like, who, me? OK, Grant, I'll give it a go. It's not like, you know, the light shone down from above and you said, I will be a yoga teacher. And so it was. It doesn't really go that way. I think that's a really important part of the story. But we let so many negative self-beliefs stop us from taking these moves. I went to an event last Sunday, Soul Space, um, with Miriam Jerry Hussey, had an event and they'd won in February. I was at that as well in the National Concert Hall. And they brought out something. They have an online community, the Soul Space community, and one of its members was there. I think her name is Deirdre. I hope her name is Deirdre. I won't ever forget her. She sat there in February and she said something just flicked in her mind. And she said, I've been telling myself, I don't have the confidence to sing anymore, but I'm going to change that. And she hadn't sang for nine years and she stood up last weekend and she sang um, Oh Holy Night, like operatic. It I was bawling, crying. It was perfection. So it was nothing to do with her ability. It had just was everything to do with what she was telling herself
2: she could do or what she was allowing herself to do yeah wow that's beautiful like it's amazing yeah how we how we limit ourselves like by telling ourselves things but also putting ourselves into a box of you know I'm a I'm a solicitor or I'm a you know these these boxes that and then not exploring kind of what what's outside of it and and yeah trapping ourselves by saying things but definitely imposter syndrome like I still get it, you know, because I'm, yoga was the first thing. But then I went on, you know, meditation, um, cacao facilitator. Um, I'm, I recently did my Reiki training. Imposter syndrome pops up every year. But now I know that I'm growing. Like, I almost know it's, it's the right direction when I, imposter syndrome, because it's, it's levelling up. But yeah. it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. At it's kind beginning. of the first step,
1: isn't it? The, the the first step is I can't do that and you just kind of
2: push on and keep
1: going anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, you just and help help yourself along with a bit of bit of pep talk and try to dim the negative.
1: Well, you got a, a pull again. So life was going well, you were in your flow, living in Dublin, giving yoga classes, but now you're living in Portugal. So where did that pull come from or was it just on a really grey, rainy day here in Ireland?
2: Yeah, that pull, that pull came this time two years ago, actually. It was like, that's when it started. And again, like I see the process is very similar. Like it's the same type of thing of like, I was living alone in an apartment very near my family in Dublin. I'd moved my whole yoga business online. So I was a lot working online living alone i have my family and friends around me but i delved in around this time of year and i'm always very conscious of this time of year because i work i work a lot now with the with the celtic wheel and it's this time of year which is the darkest point you know it's the time of of shedding of letting go you know we see it in nature all around us and i definitely feel my life follows that cyclical rhythm um, at this time of year, so two years ago, I realized uh, this this isn't what I really f- f- imagined for my life. You know, I, I I want to meet somebody. I want I want to be. I wanted a different lifestyle, and I just felt like I wasn't fully fully living that. So, I I delved into that much like I did when I was traveling. Like I spent time meditating journaling and asking myself the difficult questions because it was much easier to stay. You know, I have my family across the road and there's loads of reasons. There's always reasons. Everyone will have their own reasons. Like mine mine was actually, because I got the inspiration then to to move to Portugal around December time, two years ago. And I've moved in March. But I remember when I was thinking of moving, like one of the reasons I just got a new Wi-Fi contract and it was really fast Wi-Fi. <laughs> I was, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't move. And I just got a dishwasher. These were reasons to stay, you know, and everyone will have their own reasons. So I just, when I look back and I, this is what's so fun about journals, you look back and you actually see yourself seriously writing about a Wi-Fi contract. And, you know, um, seeing now that that was not a reason to stay. And I moved. And again, that move much like that moment in the in the meeting my friend and starting the coffee shop, much like that time, it has opened up a whole new world for me.
1: And I think that's a good example as well of journaling because people are like, journaling, meditation, I, I don't know, am I supposed to go to this higher place? But you're even writing down reasons to stay, Wi-Fi contract, dishwasher. When you see that in black and white, you're like, hmm, I don't know if there are strong enough reasons. You need to get it out of your head Sometimes and onto a page and I, I listened to your interview years ago on Georgie's The Good Glow and you were talking about journaling away and you were just writing down words like freedom and you didn't really know where they were going to lead or what that was going to mean but it's just getting them out of your head and onto paper and somehow it begins to to crystallise and, and form a little plan over time and now your retreats in Portugal are called Wild and Free. That's kind of your overarching umbrella. So what does Wild and Free mean to you?
2: So Wild and Free is this two words I've carried. with They actually came from a reggae song. I love reggae music. And that was really that freedom feeling when I was traveling. I'd go to a go to a reggae bar with my journal and I'd be listening to music writing. So that kind of beat was always a real freedom thing. And the words wild and free, like I'd often like just what you're saying there, Claire. I'd write in my journal. And for anyone who doesn't like journaling, this is a lovely practice or who likes graphs and things. I'd write freedom in the middle of the journal and just like circle around and then like spider diagram. Like what what makes me feel free? And it's amazing how challenging that sometimes can be. And then it's amazing as well how simple something like getting in the sea like that is I feel so free. So and it really challenged. So I I always do that. And so freedom was this thing I I wanted it to be in all parts of my life. Like I'd freed myself from a career I didn't feel like was me, and I was, you know, building freedom into every, my life. You know, moving away, freedom, and also relationship. Like to feel free in a, in a relationship, and i felt that you know it's it's what we what we all want you know and we can we can find it within our lives it doesn't mean like packing our bags and running away it's finding freedom space freedom to be the full expression of ourselves and then and then wild is wild is the wild wild woman like we spend a lot of time connecting with her and i just I find that beautiful because the wild woman is someone I've really connected with and she can be a bit kind of misconceived sometimes like we think of the wild woman sometimes with feathers in her hair and she's this really exotic woman but we all have this wild woman within us and it for me it's this you know she's the instinctual woman she listens to her 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 gut her knowing and she's connected with the moon cycles nature you know, she's listening and seeing signs and symbols all around her. She's very in tune and, and we all have that wild woman within us. And it's beautiful to see because on the retreats, you know, women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, everything come to connect with the wild woman that is with us through our whole lives. And mine had been buried. So the retreat is all about excavating that inner wild woman.
1: And you focus on, on women, and, and why is that? And and the kind of reclamation of the feminine power. Like I have a son and a daughter and I often find myself wanting to tell my daughter to to tone it down and pipe down. And I catch myself and I stop because we have been told to be good girls more than wild women. So is that what you're trying to do away
2: with? Yes, yes. The, the wild, yes, the wild woman like that who kind of, I'll, I'm, the the empowered woman who is, you know, taking charge of of her life and doing and not afraid to express emotion and be her full self. Yes, but also the wild woman who's like soft and quiet and listens to her instinct and knows that like gentle and flow is so powerful. And that comes from a woman who was very in her masculine energy like even you know I was a wild woman as a child but you know loved loved being around the lads and you know very and that was just a kind of manifestation of it but like even in my law firm and life I was I was pusher I was kind of like yeah work 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 hard and then it will get done and this work of connecting with feminine energy you know all the things I said the softness the the gentleness has been transformative in that it make, l- makes life more gentle and things happen more effortlessly. And, you know, it's, I suppose the, the whole retreat is to connect with the, with the feminine energy because we, we live in a very masculine energy world. And that's what's valued. And it's about bringing back the value towards the, the feminine energy.
1: Well, I can see myself
2: at one of these retreats one of these days. Sounds fab. Where can people find out more? They can find out more on my website, com, And there's retreats on in January, February and March in a stunning venue in um, the Algarve. And also for women who maybe don't want to travel, I also do online circles starting in January and they're called Wild Circles. So you can see see the theme,
1: Wild From the comfort of your own home. And do you plan much for the future, Sarah? Do you see that life could go anywhere? You could be back here in two years and your whole life could look even more different again.
2: Yeah, like when I think of what's happened in the last four years, you know, even being back in Dublin. I'm living in Portugal and just, you know, remembering the woman that was walking around these streets. Um very it's very different, so so much can happen, but I'm definitely setting down my roots in Portugal. I met a wonderful man that's what the door opening, you know, moving to Portugal was where I met a man that we grew up down the road from each other, and we meet in Portugal. so it was destined it was you know I really feel like that's that's our home now, so that's where I'll be, and I'll be running these retreats for any woman who who resonates with with this.
1: Amazing. Well, I hope it won't be two years before we see each other again. Sarah Shannon, thank you so so
2: much. Thank you, Claire. It's been lovely. So that's
1: it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo de Silva Scott who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire
0: Mckenna Sunday morning at eight with Benelyn. on News Talk.